right, guys. Well, we're very blessed to have Pastor Sean Reeves himself. Uh, for those of you who don't know, obviously you've seen that on the screen there. Sean's one of my best friends, close friends since high school. And uh, so let's welcome him as he comes to the stage. Let's show him our beanly welcome. Amen. Don't know how I should respond after him throwing me under the bus with that hideous picture. Thankfully, I had some time to um, allow my heart to forgive him through that, that special music. That special music that was anointed. That was beautiful, ladies. Thank you very much. I, um, I, I really believe that the special music before the preaching really does make a difference. Uh, and if, if you can preach off the back of something like that, uh, you know that uh, hearts are no doubt going to be open. Maybe some of you were a little bit kind of hard-hearted, skeptical a couple of minutes ago. But after a song like that, the walls have come down. You're going to be able to receive God's word. That's a good thing. Uh, so I don't have to spend the first 10 minutes of the message kind of breaking you down myself. Uh, they've done it. Uh, and so thank you, ladies. Appreciate that. And I uh, just want to thank Pastor Bobby again for the privilege uh, to be here. It's, uh, it's been a great time the past couple of days. Uh, and I know that today and tonight is going to be a good time as well. Uh, but if you brought a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, and we'll get there uh, in a couple of minutes. But Pastor Bobby was speaking about us getting saved, us giving our lives to Jesus uh, in the final couple of weeks of high school. And for me, it was on October the 1st. So October the 1st, 2005, that's when I gave my life to Jesus. It was a Saturday night, probably around about 8 o'clock. Uh, yeah, I can remember the details because it was a monumental moment. Remember Friday night? We talked about the revelation that brings us to conversion. Yeah, I can remember it because it so changed my life. But that night, that decision, I want you to capture this. I made one decision to go to a concert and in that concert, I heard the gospel and I was convicted of my sinful ways. I repented. I received Jesus as my savior and I stood up from an altar, a completely different person. I stood up a recipient of new life. And I want you to capture this, that one single act, that one single decision set in motion destiny, calling, and purpose. Just that one decision to go to a concert, set in motion, destiny, purpose, and calling. Listen, this morning, we have no idea whatsoever in our family, in our business, in our ministry, in our finances, what God can set into motion through one single act of obedience. So I want to minister a message called Courageous Obedience, and we're going to look into Acts chapter 5. We're going to read verse 17 down to 20, but I, I want to bring a little bit of context. In the book of Acts, no doubt many of you have read through that in the New Testament, the book of Acts is the history of the early church, and there's just an awesome, exciting emphasis on the powerful fulfillment of the great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28 to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So as you read through the book of Acts, you are literally seeing the fulfillment of that commission. But what we're about to read here in Acts 5 
Peter and John, they were busy doing the work of the Lord. People were being miraculously healed. There was a guy who was crippled for 40 years. He was miraculously healed. People were getting saved. But the religious leaders, the people who were not followers of Jesus, they were getting frustrated. And so what happened is they wanted Peter and they wanted John thrown into prison. That's the first four chapters of the book of Acts. And then we pick it up here in chapter 5. And what we're seeing is more people getting saved, more people being healed, and more people being delivered. And again, religious leaders not liking what's happening. So it says these words from Acts chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. It says, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at midnight, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this new life. We're going to talk about courageous obedience this morning. I want to pray. Father, I pray that through your word, you would help us to see that our courageous obedience can set into motion the wonderful plans that you have for us. God, let us never live our lives disobeying your prompts. Let us never live our lives with apathy in our hearts, resisting what you want to do, God. But today, help us to courageously obey all that you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is that your prayer today? That you'd be courageously obedient to the prompts of God? Come on, you didn't come to church today to say, I hope God speaks to me so I can be a disobedient person, right? You didn't come in the doors with that in your mind and in your heart. But if you're not intentional, that can be your response, right? You don't come to church and sing all these songs and uh, enjoy special music and fellowship with people to be disobedient, right? It's never your intention. But sometimes it's what we do if we're not intentional, and so we want to have courageous obedience. And I, want, and I want to consider a couple of things as we think about that topic. And I want to talk firstly about how there's opposition to courageous obedience. There's always opposition. Courageous obedience doesn't come without opposition. And in our text, what we see is that the high priest and the Sadducees, they rose up. And the Bible uses this word indignation. They were filled with indignation. And what that means, it means anger. It means distress. It means frustration. And then they get Peter and John and they throw them into prison as a result. Are you, are you with me? Are you capturing what they're enduring for their obedience? So here it is. These religious leaders, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, the high priest... They are filled with anger and frustration. They've had enough of Peter and John preaching the gospel, preaching about Jesus. And the reason for that is ultimately the gospel that they were preaching, Jesus Messiah, that was contrast to their gospel. You see, as Jewish people, they thought the Messiah was going to come, was going to rise up politically and cause them to have power within the community. Isn't that the corrupt heart of man? Doesn't that even bleed into the religious world? I want power. And that is who they viewed the Messiah to be. The guy who's going to come and overthrow the political parties so that we will have the dominion in our communities. But Jesus came to serve, 
to love, to lay down his life, to put others above himself. And so they didn't like that message. And as Peter and John proclaimed it, there was opposition and these people rose up and threw them into prison. And the context here is this is actually the second time that Peter and John have been thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. In other words, this is the second time they have been severely and aggressively opposed for their obedience. How many know that's not the kind of reception you'd like to receive for being obedient to God, right? Over the past few days, we've heard messages that have compelled you to come to an altar. Maybe the Holy Spirit has dealt with you. You've made a decision to be obedient to the prompts that God has put on your heart. Can I just encourage you, but also just make you aware there's going to be opposition to that. You don't like that reality. I know some people are clapping, but it's not always the most well-received reality, right? Here they are being obedient but being opposed. Here they are stepping out in faith and saying, I'll preach, but being arrested, beaten and thrown into prison. That's not the kind of reception you hope to receive when you step out of your comfort zone for Jesus. When you go into new arenas in obedience, so often we make the mistake of thinking as Jesus followers that we won't experience opposition. That it's just going to be smooth sailing, sunshine, lollipops and rainbows, right? Uh, Someone had a shirt on last night here saying, yay God, that's what their shirt said on it. That's how sometimes we view stepping out of our comfort zones. I'm going to be obedient, yay God. Uh, But then we step into the arena that God's calling us and it's like this slap of opposition. And we don't think that that's going to happen, but many times that's what happens. Welcome. Welcome to your calling. Oh, thank you. But that's what it's like. There's opposition. Sometimes we say, I've been listening to 96.5, the Christian radio station. I've, I carry my Bible in my bag now. I'm in church all the time. Surely everything should be smooth sailing. But it's not the case. There's opposition. We still battle through things, don't we? But it's important that we understand The reason we battle through things is because life is way more spiritual than we understand. Life is way more spiritual than we understand. And if we are going to pursue God's prompts, we are going to have to enter into a spiritual arena. And that spiritual arena will inevitably trigger opposition. As soon as you cross the threshold through your obedience, you trigger opposition against your life. And I don't say that to bring some sort of fear. There's hope coming later in the message. But that is the reality. Peter said in 1 Peter uh, 4, verse 12, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Come on, I just said a moment ago, we can... Be disillusioned and think nothing bad will ever happen to me now that I'm a Jesus follower. Peter's saying, don't be surprised when you enter into a fiery trial. As if something strange were happening. Do you know that there are uh, other religions in our community that teach if you are going through something bad, it's because you are unloved by God. That's not the case. Peter's saying, don't be surprised when you go through a fiery trial as if something bad were happening. And then he says in verse 16... If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God in that name. Listen, if there's opposition against your life, it's because you mean something in the kingdom. It's because you're a threat to the devil. I mean, if there's no opposition against your life, you're exactly where the devil wants you. If you're not coming under some sort of assault and some sort of pushback, if you're not having to fight past some of the distractions like we talked about last night, it's because you are exactly where the devil wants you to be. Probably a place of apathy, probably a place of complacency, probably a place of compromise. You're exactly where the devil wants you to be. But if you're being opposed, it's because you're doing something for God. Perhaps it's because you're being courageously obedient. You know, I think about my own life, every major decision that I've made for spiritual purposes, there's been opposition. Every major decision, there's been spiritual opposition. I think about marrying my now wife, Mary. I proposed to her when we were 18 years old and I got married four weeks after I turned 19. I'd only ever seen failed marriages. I had no marriage experience. Obviously, at that stage, I was living in a caravan park with my dad. I was a high school failure, being sacked from a couple of jobs. But one thing I had on my side was Jesus, and I was a surrendered disciple within my local church, submitted to my pastor and willing to be teachable and receive any direction. And the reality is this. When I proposed to Mary, even when we started dating, we were one of the first couples... Uh, in, in a wave of, of young teenagers that got saved, we were probably one of the very first couples to date and then get married. Pastor Bobby and Zara were just behind six months, I think, behind us in the, the wave of revivals, but there was opposition. There were people, even within the church, that said, this isn't going to last, this won't work, they're way too young, they don't have the experience, they don't know how to handle conflict, they don't know how to handle money, they're not going to make it. These were people that we respected and they begin to speak these things to us saying, have, have a second thought about whether that's the right decision. We're about to celebrate our 14th wedding anniversary, guys. So I look back and think there was opposition, but my obedience, how many know marriage is what God wants for relationships? And we could have just compromised and shacked up and done our thing on the side, Right? done what everyone in the world does and what we used to think was acceptable prior to Jesus but we wanted to make a purposed decision to honor God and that triggered opposition making commitments to ministry and church in the early stages of my salvation all of a sudden my boss who never wanted me to work on a Sunday or a Wednesday night all of a sudden wanted me to I was like what You've never wanted me to work on Sundays and Wednesday nights. And now all of a sudden that I commit to ministry and, I'm gonna, and I tell the pastor I'm going to be there, now you want me to work these shifts? Why? Well, because life is so spiritual and my obedience to want to get involved in church and surrender as a disciple triggered opposition. And my heart is now being tempted. Finances, uh, the job. You know what I had to do? I had to quit the job. I had to make that choice. And you know what? It wasn't a sacrifice. It was an easy choice. I think about times when I felt prompted to give liberally in an offering and I've done it in obedience courageously and then the next day all of a sudden 
There's all these financial issues and the car breaks down and the fridge explodes and the microwave is on fire when I wake up. The bed collapses and it's like, all right, now we've got to spend eight grand just recovering all of these random things that just broke down. And I just gave all of our money last night in the offering. Courageous obedience can trigger opposition and those moments are crucial. I could have become bitter and twisted at God. I could have tried to retract the money and say, it accidentally slipped out of my hand. Can I have it back? (laughs) Courageous obedience will always trigger opposition. When we got launched out to pioneer the church in Underwood, there was opposition from the very beginning. This is a very candid thing, but our next door neighbors filmed porn movies. We were in a unit The walls were virtually made of paper. So we move into this place. I don't know the neighbours. We we haven't lived on the south side before. I knew it was the dirty south, but I I knew it was the dirty south, if you know what I'm talking about. And so we move down to the south side. We're living in Underwood. We're in this unit. My wife's pregnant. I'm writing my first sermon for our first service. I'm on the couch with my laptop. I've got my noise cancelling. Capture this, and I don't want to give too much imagery, but I've got noise cancelling headphones on, and I'm listening to worship music, and I can hear this sound, and I'm not going to make it. (laughs) And I pull the headphones off, and it's exactly what you think it is. (laughs) My wife and I slept in our bedroom three times, We had to go into the spare room. We put mattresses up on the wall. I was complaining every day. But we had to endure that for six months. Do you know how hard it was to have brand new converts to your house for dinner? Yeah, it wasn't cool. It was not an enjoyable dinner. A lot of different things happened and it was all opposition to our obedience. The point is this, our acts of obedience will always be met with spiritual opposition think about your life committing to church living morally pure until marriage it's a good thing being a godly example cutting away distracting influences stewarding our finances well moving the gospel forward reaching people do you know what all of these things reflect they reflect courageous obedience to god's word And all those things will trigger spiritual opposition. But there's hope because secondly, miracles always follow courageous obedience. Yes, we understand that our courageous obedience will trigger opposition, but our courageous obedience will always be followed with miracles. When you make the commitment to fully obey God, you can expect God to show up and work in amazing ways in your life. You can expect it. It's an assurance. Peter and John, in our text, they've been thrown into prison because of their obedience they were opposed but now here they are a miracle is following their obedience verse 19 it says but at midnight an angel of the lord opened the prison doors and brought them out that's supernatural intervention that's a miracle from god an angel breaks them out and it doesn't say that they were shocked 
It doesn't say that they were amazed, that they were blown away. It doesn't say they were surprised. Do you know why? Because when you walk in obedience to God, you're not surprised by the miracles. You don't know how, you don't know when, but you do know God is going to come through for me. You might be sitting in a prison cell right now, but you have every assurance that the angel of the Lord, God himself, is going to come and set you free. And you won't be surprised by it. Because when you walk in obedience, you're not surprised by the miracles. You know he's with you. You know he's for you. You know all things are possible. And you know that at any moment, things can change for his glory. Many years ago, my wife and I went to Africa for three weeks on an impact team. We went to three different churches. Uh, we preached in churches. We were uh, very busy every day, furthering the gospel. It was an incredible experience. I preached in a church in a city called Chingola. This is in Zambia on a Sunday morning. There was about 600 people in church. It was packed. That's adults. They had about 300 kids as well, but all those kids left for the main service. And at the conclusion of the message, I said, I want to pray for people. Anyone that has an issue or a need, anyone that needs a miracle from God, I want to pray for you. As you can imagine, in a third world nation, there was a lot of people to receive prayer. And uh, I prayed a mass prayer. I prayed for some people specifically. And it was a place that I saw needs like I've never seen before. Like I'm talking needs that as I'm praying for them, I'm actually doubting that anything is going to change. I prayed for one guy with a deaf ear. He couldn't hear out of it because of an incident that happened many years earlier. I'd never prayed for somebody with a deaf ear. I didn't know like what to say. He's supposed to pray a specific prayer like... Uh, this is pretty serious as far as I'm concerned. Don't forget, I'm a white Australian. Got an issue? Go to the doctor, mate. She'll be right. That's how we think. We don't believe for miracles, us white people. We just think of solutions somewhere else. And so here I am facing this guy with a desperate need who is living in poverty and he can't hear. And I want to tell you, it was his faith that brought a miracle to fruition as I laid my hand on his ear and I began to pray I said do you believe he said absolutely I believe God is able and I was just like me too brother let's believe God but in my mind you know what I'm talking about I'm like I hope something happens and I pray for him and he says I can hear I'm healed and I said are you really are you serious and I walked back like God what <laughs> this guy got healed he got healed and like I was more shocked and impressed than anyone else in the room. And they're like, yeah, what? We see that all the time. That's what our God can do. That's what they were thinking. I went there to take the gospel to them and impact them. I came home changed. I came home impacted. It's like, thank you, people. But how often do we pray and we don't expect God to move, though? Just like me praying for this deaf guy, not really believing God could do it. No one else knew that. I'm telling you this morning confessional time but how often do we pray and we don't expect God to move I want to encourage you when you step forward 
and you obey his word, when you do what he leads you to do, yes, you may face opposition, but at the same time, miracles are going to follow your obedience. Let's conclude and talk about how faith fuels courageous obedience. Our faith will always fuel our courageous obedience. So let's, let's kind of connect the dots. We understand as we live a life of courageous obedience, it'll always trigger opposition. But simultaneously, in other words, right alongside, miracles are going to follow. And as you live with courageous obedience, you must fuel that with faith. This isn't reason, this isn't logic, this isn't intellect, this isn't information. Faith must fuel your obedience. And I believe that consistent or entire obedience, it really is a concept that many believers struggle with. I'm going to say that again. Consistent or entire obedience, it's a concept that many of us can struggle with. I want to say this morning that delayed or partial obedience is actually disobedience. God doesn't want half your heart. He doesn't want half your obedience. He doesn't want you to delay with your obedience. When you do, that's disobedience. And this is something that we wrestle with and we struggle with. This is something that many of us do not understand. And the reason for that is deeply ingrained into every single one of us because of our default sinful nature is this reality. Obedience is something that we wrestle with from a young age. This is why you can go and watch the nursery workers right now and they're going to be struggling with a bunch of little disobedient children. You as parents didn't teach them to be disobedient. You should be trying to teach them to be obedient. They're naturally disobedient. And sometimes if that isn't checked, if that isn't reined in, you end up being a grown adult who is disobedient to everybody, including God. Some of you know people right now literally in prison cells because of disobedience. It's the foundation of their life. They've been living in such disobedience for so long. They've never brought it into check. And I believe that one of the primary hindrances to faith-fueled obedience, it's unbelief and it's doubt if we are going to step out and live courageously obedient and our faith is going to fuel that, we need to avoid this hindrance of unbelief and doubt. Listen, we know that the Bible says faith can move mountains. Well, let me say this, doubt can create mountains. Your faith can move any mountain, but your doubt will create mountains. When you live your life dictated to by doubt and unbelief mountains that seem immovable will be before you but when you live your life by faith courageously obeying all that God prompts you mountains will be moved I know this is simplistic truth this morning but are you with me verse 20 of our text the Bible tells us that after they are broken free from prison so they've been opposed They've received a miracle. Now they're being told in verse 20, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this new life. Now, I want you to capture this. 
God is saying, go back to the same place that you were before. Go back to that location and do what you were doing. In fact, go and do the exact same thing that got you sent back into this prison. Think about that. Go and preach the same message. How many know that's going to require some faith to be obedient? And if we're not vigilant in those moments, doubt can begin to speak to us. We've been opposed, we've been locked up, then we've been set free, now God is calling us into a new arena. And if we're not careful, doubt can begin to creep in. You mean go back to the same place that I was persecuted? You mean go back to that same location where those people rose up, arrested me, beat me and threw me into prison and do the exact same thing? Um, I'm grateful for the breakthrough, God, but... It doesn't seem like the most logical plan. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't kind of seem like the right thing to do, God. I mean, I did that before in obedience and I was opposed. I was put in prison. You remember that, right? Yeah, you broke me free and I'm grateful and all. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not belittling that, but the same thing, we can try to have this discussion with God. We want guarantees. How, how many times, if we're honest, that's what we do when we're prompted by God. We have dialogue with Him and we ask Him, how's it all going to work out if I'm obedient? If I step out of my comfort zone and I begin to do what you're prompting me to do, are you going to provide for me every step of the way? I mean, if I make this sacrifice over here, are you going to give it back to me uh, quickly because I kind of need it? Uh, if I go into that arena that I feel uncomfortable, how will you make me feel comfortable? What about my family, God? What about my children? What assurances are you going to give me that all things are going to work out and that it's going to be smooth? I mean, I want to be obedient, but I kind of need to know that you're going to show up. What sort of security? I need some details. That's what we do, right? We feel the prompt, we feel the call, we feel the, 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 the little jab in our ribs to step out into something. But before we do, we want the whole blueprint. We want to see the contract. We want to read the fine print before we sign on the dotted line with our call, don't we? Because we want to make sure that there's a good redundancy package, that we're getting paid our full super, that we're going to have our sick leave and our entitlements given. These are the things that we look for. And I believe, though, that God doesn't always show us the details because sometimes we're not ready to receive all the details. You see, if God told me everything that he wanted me to do when I, when I first got saved, I would have run out the door and been like, stuff that. Because I wasn't ready to receive some of that stuff. The Bible says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet, not a floodlight to our final destination. We want the whole room to be lit up. We want to see every little nook and cranny. We want to know what's around the corner. If you have a lamp for your feet, you can only see one step in front. There's no giant floodlight showing you the whole path. You don't know what's around the corner of God's will. But His Word is a lamp to your feet. So as you take each step, He is there with you. He gives you the grace. He gives you the wisdom. He gives you the strength for every step of the journey. Are you with me this morning? That's where faith is required. If God showed us three weeks, three months or three years from now, we'd probably say no to his plan. 
what I've come to realize is that by faith, our obedience will be fueled. So I want to encourage you this morning, have faith, but understand obedience is our responsibility. Outcome is God's responsibility. Are you with me? Your obedience to the prompt is your responsibility. Leave the outcome in God's hands. You are not God. You are the vessel that he is choosing to use to accomplish his will on this earth. And if you would be obedient, that's your responsibility. The outcome will be fulfilled because that's his responsibility. Peter and John were not called to win the world. They were called to preach of the one who could win the world. And as they preached in obedience, their responsibility, the outcome was fulfilled. That was God's responsibility. Maybe God is prompting you to qualify for ministry in church, to step out and get involved. Or maybe this morning God is speaking to you and dealing with you about making reconciliation with somebody who's hurt you. Relationship has suffered. Maybe God's dealing with you about the need to cut off a distraction. To have a tough conversation with someone that you're in a relationship with that's mistreating you or not wanting to marry you, just want to keep stringing you along. You need to have a tough conversation. Maybe that's what God's dealing with you about this morning. Maybe there's something that's holding you back from God's ultimate purpose. Can I encourage you to have faith and be obedient to what God is speaking to you about? Don't worry about the outcome. Don't worry about how it's all going to work out. Don't worry if they're going to accept you. Don't worry if they're still going to be there. Don't worry if you're going to slip and fall. Don't worry if you're going to fail. The outcome is God's responsibility. And as he sees you obediently following his prompts courageously, miracles will follow. He'll be with you. Verse 21, it says, And when they heard God's prompt, they entered the temple early in the morning and they taught. That's powerful. They were obedient. They were opposed. They were locked in prison. But a miracle came. They were set free. And now they're being told to go back and do it again. And the Bible tells us that their faith caused them to go and teach immediately. Notice they didn't delay. Come on, how many people? Your middle name is procrastination. They didn't procrastinate. Next week, pastor. Six years later. Pastor's still waiting. He's going gray waiting for you. Procrastination. The Bible says they immediately went and began to teach. Obedience isn't saying, I'll get around to it. Obedience isn't saying, you know, uh, one day. Obedience is not your good intentions. Obedience is doing what God's called you to do. You know, I closed with this many years ago. I was walking through Brisbane City. And as I was walking, I saw a man walking on the opposite side of the road. And God spoke to me. He dealt with me. And he said, I want you to cross over the street. Go to that individual and let him know that I love him irrespective of his failures. And so in obedience, I crossed the street. I went up to this man many, many years ago. And I said, hey, man, look, I just want to encourage you, let you know God loves you. 
And it doesn't matter what sort of mistakes you've made in your past. He loves you irrespective. And this guy broke down and he said, I just had that conversation with God. I don't know God. I'm not in a relationship with him. I backslid many, many years ago. And I just said, I could never be right with God because of the mistakes that I've made. How could I ever be loved? And he began to cry and I led him through his prayer. He gave his life to Jesus. Now think about that because a couple of years later, the exact same thing happened. This doesn't happen to me all the time. But God spoke to me again. This time I was on the bus. I was in Launton, right outside the Launton Tavern. There was a guy sitting at the bus stop off the bus. So capture the imagery. Here I am on the bus and I look down and I see a man sitting in the bus stop. And God dealt with my heart and said, get off the bus and go and tell that man that I love him irrespective of his past failures. Exactly the same as that other occasion, right? But you know what? I was on my way home, I was tired, I just worked all day, I had things to do, and so I didn't get off the bus. Do you know, to this day, I've always thought, what was God trying to do in that man and in my heart that he missed out and I missed out because of disobedience? You see, the first time when I crossed the street and I spoke to that man, It didn't really inconvenience me. But the second time, it was an inconvenience. And I really believe this morning, many of us are trapped in a space of obedience when it's convenient. We're obedient when it's convenient. So I want to challenge us this morning because some of you are one act of obedience away from setting into motion your destiny. Some of you right now are one act of obedience away from the breakthrough that you're craving and desiring. Some of you this morning are one act of obedience away from seeing your unsaved loved one saved and restored because of Jesus. Some of you this morning are one act of obedience away from your financial miracle, from your healing, from getting to the next level in this church. Come on, are you with me this morning? One act of courageous obedience. So my prayer is that whatever God is prompting you right now, you'd have the courage to obey. You'd push past the opposition. You'd rise up in the face of intimidation. You would trust and have faith in the miracle work of God. It's courageous obedience. I want to pray for you as you bow your heads. Father, this morning, impact and minister, impress on the hearts of your people all that you want to do. We surrender to you and give you right of way. Help us to obey all that you're speaking right now. And before you can begin to obey God in relationship, the first thing you need to do is obey that prompt that you feel right now to repent of your sin and get right with God. Would you be obedient to that prompt that you feel right now? You know that you're not right. You know that you're unsaved, you're living in sin or you're backslidden. I want to tell you that your sin will separate you from God. Don't wait another moment. Today is the day of salvation. There really is an urgency. You can't clean up your life. This is a spiritual fix that you require. Let God come inside your life this morning, heal you, 
help you, set you free, and give you direction. You're unsaved, you're backslidden, and you want to get right with God. You want to pray a prayer of repentance. You want to be made new this morning. Put up your hand and put it back down. I'm not right with God. I want to get right today. I want to pray a prayer of repentance. I want to be forgiven. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? I see your hand. Come on, put it up. Put it back down. So I need forgiveness. I need the grace of God. I need to be set free from the weight of my sin. I want to have it broken off my life. The greatest decision you'll ever make is to give your life to God and to live for Him with all that you are. This isn't a part-time relationship. This is a full-time commitment. Don't play games with eternity. 155,000 people die every single day. While we've been in this building this morning, thousands of people have stepped into eternity. And if they did not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they're destined for a devil's hell. That's not God's plan. God wants them to make heaven their home. So much so, He came in the form of Jesus. He died on the cross for all of our sins. If you would be born again, heaven will be your home. You're not right with God. My last call, unsaved, backslidden, want to get right. Put up your hand. Put it back down. Say, here's my hand. Here's my heart. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. Anyone at all, come on, put it up. Put it back down. All right, those that raised their hand, I know that you meant that. I'm going to get you to come in a moment. And the rest of us are going to come as well. We're going to begin to pray. And we're going to begin to seek God. We're going to begin to align our minds and our hearts. We're going to begin to commit to be courageously obedient. That in the face of opposition, we're going to trust that miracles are going to follow that we're going to let faith fuel our obedience. We're not going to worry about the outcome. We're just going to focus on being obedient and trust that God is going to work all things together for His good. One act of obedience could set into motion destiny, calling, purpose, breakthrough, healing, deliverance, salvation, financial increase. There is nothing too hard for our God. But will you be obedient today? Those two ladies raise their hand. I want you to come as well and just come right to the front. I'm going to pray with you. But everyone else all across this place, I want you to come. Come fill the altars. Stay here when you're finished. Stand and worship. And let's believe God together. God, we believe. Yes, we can see. Wonders are still what you do. Bodies are still.